Well, today we come to Mark chapter 7. It is actually the most intense encounter that Mark tells us about that Jesus has. And it's also the longest. But I want to read it for us. And I want you as I read to really pay attention to Jesus' emotion. How is he feeling? Mark 7, chapter, chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gamed for me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you have no permit, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And when he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. We're going to need it. (laughs) Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. And pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a new social media app that you may have heard of. It's called Be Real. I'm curious how many of you know or use Be Real. Okay, not that many. I'll explain it to you. It's this thing where you're supposed to take a moment of your day and 
be real. And so what happens in that moment is it happens all throughout the day, you have your friends, and then this notification pops up, and you're supposed to, in that moment, take a picture of you and then what's in front of you so that the people who are on, your, on the social media app with you can see what's going on, and it's your moment to be real. And so while I was preparing for this message and writing this, it actually came up, the notification to be real, and I took a picture. I wanted you to see what I was doing in that moment. So here's a picture of me. You can see that's me and I, all my books behind me and then my desk and how I'm preparing for this message, and I'm being real for you. Now, here's what you don't know about Be Real, is how many times I took that picture of me and how many things I did to make my desk look that amazing. Right, because right now you're thinking, man, look at all those commentaries Brian's reading and how he's really digging in to make this an amazing message. Well, the, 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 I'm not really good at my face picture. You're probably even like, Brian, that's not a very good face picture. Well, I took that four times. I took the picture of my desk. I had one book on it, and I was like, no, 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 no. We're going to add a couple more books. <laughs> we work hard to make things look good on the outside, don't we? We like to cover up what's really going on. On a more serious note, on April 26, 1986, one of the worst man-made disasters in history happened at a nuclear plant in Ukraine, Chernobyl. Soviet Union ran a seemingly routine test to see how long a reactor's turbines would supply power in case of an electrical power loss. Well, the reactor malfunctioned and exploded, causing massive amounts of radioactive gases to spew into the atmosphere for 10 days. The winds carry the radiation far and wide, and despite the magnitude of the disaster, the Soviet Union waited 10 days before they said that anything had happened. It was a massive cover-up, and because of it, many more deaths and long-term health issues occurred. Even though we often know it to be the case, <laughs> it seems like most times covering things up just make it worse. Today in the book of Mark, we come to one of the most tense encounters of Jesus. Jesus confronts a group of people who are more concerned about covering it up than they are about with what really is happening inside. And as Jesus confronts them and talks about some of these strange things in here, Corbin and different things, what he's really trying to say to them is, you guys don't even realize that you're not looking at what the real problem is. That it, it really has nothing to do with what is on the outside. It's all about what's in the inside. And in this intense encounter, not only with the Pharisees, but you see and heard that the disciples didn't get it either. Jesus is trying to say this, and it's my proposition for us today, is that the heart is always the matter. The heart 
is always the matter. Jesus really focuses on the heart, and it's worth pointing out before we dive in here that when Jesus talks about the heart, he's not just talking about something that pumps blood into our body. See, for Jesus and the Israelites and the way God taught throughout Scripture, the heart was the command center of their life. It was what drove everything. And in some ways today in our culture, we think about the brain as the command center. But in this way that Jesus taught, the heart was the command center. And what that means is, is that the heart is the place where you think. The heart is the place where you make sense of the world. The heart is the place where you feel The heart is the place where your choices come from. And Jesus is saying, the heart is the place where the problem is, and it's the place I'm concerned about. That's why the heart is always the matter. Why is Jesus concerned of the heart? Well, it's because he knows what it's capable of. You see, instead of focusing on our hearts, we like to cover up what it's capable of. Well, what is the heart capable of? Let's look. The first thing we see that Jesus calls out here is he says, the heart adds. The heart adds. So in this passage, Jesus has this really intense interaction with the Pharisees. Basically, there's kind of two different things that he talks about. There were rules that the Pharisees had that they had created from the law to help bring more clarity to what the law was. So in the Bible, in the Torah, there are these purity laws, which are real things. And then what happened was the Pharisees, what they did, you know, they didn't want people to misunderstand what the law was, so they created more rules to help explain what the purity laws were for. And it turned into this thing where it was like, these rules were more important. And so what's happening here is the disciples of Jesus aren't washing their hands and the Pharisees see it and they're like, hey, hey, whoa, whoa. You guys aren't following the rules that we made. What's going on? And, and then later on, just to uh, jump to it really quickly, when Jesus talks about this Corbin thing, what he's saying is, is there was this good law and you guys changed it. And actually, because you changed it, you, you, there, there's this tension that happens. Corbin is, you're allowed to declare something for God, and if you declare it for God, then it's okay. So instead of the um, Israelites honoring their mother and father, which is the law, they were able to kind of get out of it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in our second point this morning. But what I want you to see is that Jesus is really confronting how they're adding to God's law. Now, they would argue, we're just trying to make it more clear, Jesus. We're just trying to help out people so they know what to do. And your disciples, they're not washing their hands, which really is breaking the laws of purity. And Jesus comes after them. I mean, he minces no words. I mean, sometimes when Jesus talks to people like this, right, he'll, he'll ask a question or he'll tell a parable. He just comes right at them and he says, nope, not you guys. You're exactly what Isaiah said. You honor me with your mouths, but your hearts are far from me. Legalism is the wrong use of laws or rules. Hear that again. Legalism is the wrong use of laws or rules. Rules might help keep us from things, but they don't change our hearts. See, Jesus wanted to get to the real point, the purity laws. The point was to help people realize they needed a deeper purity. 
a purity of motive. So the Pharisees, they were stuck on the regulations about washing their hands, but when you get stuck on those things, it allows you to avoid, to not have to deal with, to cover up what the real issue is, which is your heart. And in essence, what Jesus was saying is you are quite literally missing the heart of the matter by making these rules and then asking everybody to follow them. You're missing the point. I found this cool example of missing the point that I want to share with you this morning. There was a study done at the University of Hertfordshire's Laugh Lab. It's a joke place. And they did research on what the funniest joke in the world ever was. And it was a missing the point joke. I want to tell it to you. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson are going camping. They pitch their tent under the stars and go to sleep. In the middle of the night, Holmes wakes up and says, Watson, look at the stars and tell me what you deduce. I was going to try to do this in an English accent, and that was not happening. So just (laughs) bear with me here. So Watson says, Holmes, I see millions of stars. And even if a few of those have planets, it's quite likely there are some planets like Earth. And if there are a few planets like Earth out there, there might also be life. And Holmes said, no, Watson, you idiot. Somebody stole our tent. I hope you guys tell that joke this week. I love that joke. It's the funniest joke in the world, they said. It might be funnier in an English accent. You're right. Oh, we miss the point so often, don't we? In some ways, it's not a surprise to me that the funniest joke in the world is a missing the point joke because we miss the point. And what Jesus is saying is, you guys missed the point. And, you know, as Christians, we're notorious for this too. We miss the point. The way that we miss the point is we like to create us-them categories. It's how we operate to protect ourselves, to cover us up. And, and we create labels, We create these ideas that that make some of us better than others. It helps us to miss the point of what Jesus wants from us in our hearts. So there are people who properly wash their hands and people who don't properly wash their hands. There are people with pure hands and there are people with defiled hands. But, But here's how we do this. We don't Well, maybe you care about people washing their hands. I don't know. But this is how Christians, if I can press on us just a little bit, this is what we do. We put labels on ourselves to define what kind of Christian we are to make us be better than other people. So I've heard people say things like, we're discerning Christians. We're not just normal Christians. We're discerning Christians. We know more about what's going on in the world. I've heard people say things like, we're spirit-filled Christians. We have the spirit more than other people have the spirit. We say things like, we're homeschool Christians. We're the ones who know how to do school right. We say things like, we're reformed Christians. 
We know true theology. We diminish others to add to what God says so that we can elevate ourselves. Why do we add? Well, we're covering up. (laughs) We're protecting ourselves. I mean, let's be honest. We struggle as Christians. It's, It's a long journey of learning. But if we can say, I do this better than, or I do that better than you, then frankly, we don't have to look at our insecurities at all. Because I'm better. Which is why Jesus is trying to say, the heart is always the matter. You see, Jesus is more worried about our hearts than he is us being the righteousness police for other people. Can you just hear that again? Jesus is more concerned about my heart than he is me being concerned about other people's righteousness and being police for them about it. What are you more worried about? Well, What's crazy about this passage is Jesus says it's worse than just adding. It's not that you just add. It's it's even worse than that. You see, the Pharisees thought the disciples were defiled because they weren't washing their hands, but it's not our hands (laughs) that are the problem. It's the heart that's the matter. The heart is the matter. Jesus says here at the end of this passage, he says in verse 13, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. He's basically saying to them, when you take these beautiful words of God, the laws that he gives us, when you take what he says and you start adding to them, it's not just that you're adding and putting yourself above and making yourself better. He's saying you're actually voiding, you're negating, you're destroying what God asks of you. Jesus tells a parable. And and even the disciples don't get it. They thought it was all about what they did. And, And we do too. We get into this pattern of thinking about it's all about what I have to do and what I need to do. But Jesus is actually saying, no, it's the heart that is the matter. When you add, you void the law. And in so doing, he says, not only do the added rules not represent the will of God, it's worse, the added rules break the will of God. Because the real problem is that our hearts are defiled. So let's, let's talk about this word defiled. It was in the passage quite often here. So let's define it quickly. So the literal biblical definition for defile is to cause something to become unclean, profane, or ritually unacceptable. So think about it like this. So defiling, to defile is like graffiti on a bridge. Or it's like red wine on a white shirt. It it causes it to be unclean, or it causes it to be defiled or destroyed. 
In my family, what we've always said is that if you put sugar in your spaghetti sauce, it's defiled. It is no longer real spaghetti sauce because you have defiled the spaghetti sauce. And so if you put sugar in your sauce, that's just an Agavino thing. It's not real written Italian rule. I don't know what the real law is, but that's what I learned growing up. So there's no sugar in my spaghetti sauce. So verse 21, it tells us where defilement comes from. And here's what's so curious about this passage. Jesus says defilement comes from the heart. He lists these 12 things. There's six that are acts and six that are attitudes. I want to read them to you. He says sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness. And then the attitudes, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Question. Is the problem those 12 things? Or is the problem the source of where those 12 things come from? Hear that again. Because it's critical to understanding what Jesus is pressing on here. Is the problem those six acts or those six attitudes or the source of where those 12 things come from? With our commandments and our add-ons, we miss the point and we corrupt because our hearts are defiled what God wants for us. Can I, can I just, again, press us just a little bit harder on this? I, this is maybe one of the hardest things for us to get, which is why Mark spent so many verses on this and why Jesus was so intense in unpacking this because he knew this would be one of our, if not the most significant struggle we would face and, and offers some even more ways that we as Christians takes what is good things in the law and when we take them and we add and we turn, what we actually do is we void what Jesus or God is asking from us. In Hebrews, it says, honor the marriage bread. And what do we do? We turn it into purity culture. We turn it into a place where sex is shameful, where desires are evil. Ephesians talks about submission. And what do we do? We turn it into patriarchy and hierarchy. We turn it into power mongering and justification for it. We take Philippians chapter 4 where it says, whatever is honorable, think on such things. And what do we do? We turn it into avoid anything that is non-Christian in art. We say, don't go see R-rated movies and boycott anything that isn't about Jesus. Only the chosen is okay. <laughs> we take Colossians chapter 4 where it says, parents, don't provoke your children. And what do we do? We turn it into raising kids God's way. Should I keep going? <gasps> and be careful. <gasps> I'm setting you up. Because if you're sitting there going, yeah, Brian, bad purity culture, bad Christians who say raise parents God's way, well, then guess what? <laughs> 
You've just put yourself in the better than category because you don't label and you don't make the law bad. So if you think you're better, that is the heart that is defiled. Can I say this any more clearly that in Christianity, there is no place for the language of better. I would cautiously challenge you this week to pay attention to how often you feel and think you are better. It will break you. It broke me. Church, Jesus isn't against tradition. He's against traditionalism. Jesus isn't against morals. He's against moralism. Jesus isn't against emotion. He's against emotionalism. And we're so messed up that we love to create isms. It's what we do. We take tradition and morals and emotion, they're meant to be our servant, and we make them our master, and we make everyone else have to follow that same master. Because when the heart gets involved, we make things defiled. And we take the righteousness of God and turn it into self-righteous activity. We take the righteousness of God and we turn it into self-righteous activity. Just practically, to help us reflect more deeply, I would ask you, when you mess up, what do you do? Think about this for a second with me. When you mess up, when you have felt the burden and weight of having sinned against God, what do you do? In my short time of being a pastor, and in my own personal life, I found that what I do is I beat myself up for not following the rules. I'm not supposed to say bad words. I'm not supposed to get angry. I'm not supposed to eat that much or drink that much. I'm not supposed to look at porn. And we put the rules back in place in hopes that next time we'll follow them. And Jesus says, you're starting at the wrong place. You're missing the point. Friends, aren't we more worried about the list of 12 than we are about the source where they come from? The heart is always the matter. So what is Jesus telling us? He's telling us that. The heart is the matter, and it is what matters. So that word, it's kind of a strange word to use for a sermon, but I think it fits appropriately. There's a lot of different ways we can use the word matter. In the specific definition, there are two ways that we can use it. One is that it's the reason for distress or a problem. So what's the matter? What's the problem? Or it's something that is the concern. This is the matter. This is what's a matter. And, and I, I think the power of that is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, here's what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about your heart. Because it's the problem. 
Jesus is saying that the problem isn't tradition, it isn't the rules, it isn't something that's outside of you, it's your heart. It's the reason for the problem and it's what he is concerned about. It's always what is the matter. J.C. Ryle, a, a famous pastor and preacher in the 1800s, he said this, and I thought it was a great quote to just summarize what we've said this morning. What does it cost to be a true Christian? It will cost us our self-righteousness. We must cast away all pride and high thoughts and conceit of our own goodness. We must be content to go to heaven as a poor sinner, saved only by free grace and owing all to the merit and righteousness of another. Do you like going to the doctor? <laughs> I find that there are two kinds of people in the world when it comes to going to the doctor. You know, there are the, the ones that are like, ooh, I have a headache, I better go to the doctor, right? Don't raise your hand if that's you. <laughs> then there are the rest of us who say, oh, I'm bleeding from my arm? Oh, it's just a flesh wound, don't worry about it, it's fine, it'll get better. And I a little bit want to ask you to raise your hand if that's you, but I'm not going to. I will confess to you that that is me. I do not like going to the doctor. And the point of this morning is this. Jesus is saying spiritually, we are all like the latter. Oh, it's just a flesh wound. I'm fine. Just cover it up. There's nothing going on in here. Don't worry about what's coming out of me. I'll fix it. I'll do it better next time. I'll try harder. I'll be better. Don't worry about me. We cover up and pretend. Like, be real. <laughs> and we cover up and we make it worse. Like Chernobyl. It's why just a little bit earlier in the book of Mark, in chapter 2, verse 17... Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. See, my friends, there is hope for today. There is a true, better one. That came. And what he did for you and for me was that he became truly uncovered and naked on a cross and gave everything away for you and for me. So why? So that he could come to us and he could cover us with his righteousness that he would say to you, you can be made whole, and he will, in his great mercy, give us a new heart. But you have to be willing to go to the doctor. You have to be in a place where you can say, I am sick, and I need a righteousness from another. Will you come?
Let's pray. Almighty, awesome God, we are a mess. We're so much a mess that we can make the issue not even the issue. And I pray this morning that in the mercy of your Holy Spirit, you would expose us. Father, stir in us a longing for a different heart. Stir in us a longing for the one who can truly give us the righteousness that we so long for. We pray that in Jesus' name.